Enjoy all your favorite sports like never before at BetMGM. Sign up using code Buckeye and receive up to $1,500 back in bonus bets if you don't win your first bet. When you register with BetMGM, you'll get instant access to a variety of parlay selection features, live betting options, and the best daily promotions in the business. And with BetMGM at your fingertips, every play and every game matters more than ever. Place your money line prop or parlay bets with the king of sports books today sign up using code buckeye and receive up to $1,500 back in bonus bets if you don't win your first bet bet mgm and GameSense remind you to play responsibly 21 plus and present in ohio subject to eligibility requirements rewards are non-withdrawable bonus bets that expire in seven days gambling problem call 1-800-GAMBLER in partnership with mgm northfield park eerily quiet and then my mind was kind of like you know the head in the fishbowl but it takes me into the bathroom and says this is how you brush your teeth brush rinse repeat brush rinse repeat brush rinse repeat but there were two girls and it was like you don't have to give us a ride you can't fill us no he can't refuse us he'll let us in his car thoughts were all alone in this empty void you know the head in the Hey guys, welcome to Conspiranormal, and tonight, well, first of all, Rob, how you been, man? I have been wonderful. You've been working hard, and yeah, but all that's behind me. It's all behind me now. Festival season is over. We did our road trip. I'm back at home. Future's bright. Gotta wear shades, man. That's right. And we're we're (laughs) sitting here. We're sitting here chilling and smoking cigars and uh, talking to our guest, who who I hope has a cigar where he is. But uh, that is uh, Timothy Renner, first time guest on the show. Although. Um, I have uh, been listening to Tim's podcast, which we'll talk about later, and uh, have now read a, one of his books. And I've been on, uh, at, I think it's only been one roundtable that I think I've been on with you on Where Did the Road Go? I think so. Was, yeah. yeah. That was one of, the, one of the more, I think, a really interesting one. I think they're all interesting. So it's really cool that Soraya lets us get on there and kind of, you know, chat about important subjects that was i think the fiction one right i think we talked about the fiction i think so yeah 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 yeah. well i just you know i wanted to get you on because you know i found you know your work compelling um and it's a subject that we don't talk about too often uh we we cover we don't cover too much is bigfoot and but this is kind of like bigfoot with a little bit of a twist so we're going to talk about your book, Bigfoot in Pennsylvania, which is kind of a compilation of old um, newspaper clippings from the 19th and the early 20th centuries. Yeah. And, I mean, this is interesting stuff. And I guess my first question is, you know, what got you interested in compiling all these old, these old clippings? What got you interested in, in this subject? Well, it was it was my first book, which um, I've always been kind of interested in Bigfoot. It's, it's kind of been on the periphery. I, you know, I 
was interested in it when I was a kid, and then it just kind of faded away, you know, as I became an adolescent. And uh, the birth of the internet, here and there, I'd look stuff up, you know, as time went on, I'd call up a web page or something, read a little bit, but I really wasn't totally immersed in it until I wrote that first book, which is called Beyond the Seventh Gate. Mm-hmm. And in that, I found so many Bigfoot sightings in really just three counties I was covering in Pennsylvania's uh, three counties in South Central Pennsylvania, York, Adams, and Lancaster. That it just really fired me up. I was like, wow, look, look at all these. And a number of those sightings did come from old newspaper articles. So in the course of looking for those, I found a bunch of other ones and I started finding articles from from other places in the United States. And the original goal was to do one book for the United States. But very shortly into gathering the articles, I found I'd have, you know, plenty to do one book on Pennsylvania and then I could do, you know, other books for other regions. But uh, that's that was the birth of it. Yes. Pennsylvania just kind of being a microcosm, I think, of the rest of the United States. Um, it really is. Yeah. Tell us a little bit about the seventh gate book. And this is, I want to talk about this in another show with you, but, um, you know, you, you start out with in that book, um, looking at some local legends, uh, in, in your area. And eventually that kind of leads you to a different kind of conclusion about what the, may be the basis of these legends. Yeah, there, there was, um, when I moved to the area, which would have been 1997, maybe, um, in that range somewhere, mid-1990s, I I was always interested in this stuff. So, you know, talking to people, where are the ghost stories, where are the legends, where are the weird stuff, you know. And I heard about these seven gates of hell, the so-called seven gates of hell. And at the time, I was always told they were at one of two places. They were either at Prospect Hill Cemetery, which is a, a cemetery in the middle of York City. Or they were in this place called Hex Hall or, or Ray Myers Hall, which is down the southern part of the county. And the way these gates worked, they weren't physical gates. They were sort of symbolic gates that you you did a like a circuitous route through either the cemetery or or the hollow. And as you made each loop, you know, each time you made a circuit, uh, a symbolic gate would open with, you know, things getting more horrible and supernatural and scary each time. And this sounds like something, this sounds like something you would really want to do, you know, (laughs) (laughs) no one ever could tell me what the, what the route was. I had someone recently tell me they, they knew what the, what the, what the specific route was, which I found interesting, but she, uh, she didn't follow up with me, but anyway, that, that, so there were never, you know, physical gates. And then, um, I was a member of some like, legend hunting legend seeker kind of groups uh back in the email list days and i was on one of these groups that was focused on pennsylvania and maryland and there was a group of people that um were well-meaning but uh didn't they never let the truth get in the way of a good story let's say and they would go out every weekend. They'd come back with these really outrageous claims like, you know, we we found the story behind blank. We found the story behind blank. There was a separate place of interest, at Toad Road. And, and uh, the only thing I'd ever heard about that was from my wife when she went to day camp out there in the 70s or early 80s, very early 80s. Huh. She heard a legend that said uh, all she, it was a, another uh, camper, I believe, who pointed over. She The place she was at was at a on a road that was parallel to Toad Road. 
And the, this person pointed over to Toad Road and she said, see that over there? That's Toad Road. Don't look behind you on Toad Road. And that's hmm. the only legend I ever heard until the very late 1990s or early 2000s when this group, this ghost hunter group, comes to this email list one day and says, we, we found it. We found the seven gates of hell. They're, they're on Toad Road. And then they blast out the story of an insane asylum that caught fire and all the patients died and and the, the woods are haunted by these patients and the, the townspeople went into the woods and and were killing the, the insane asylum uh, victims after the fire because they were afraid of I me. Mean, it was just completely outrageous. Now, is this Toad so, Road, is it kind of like, is it a paved road? Or is it kind of more like an overgrown area that kind of barely was, looks like a road? <laughs> it, it Well, now it's a barely a path. I, yeah. and, and in places, you'd be lucky to find it all. It was a road until 1972 when Hurricane Agnes came through. It washed it out. It was never like a paved road. It would have been probably like uh, gravel. And uh, in 72, Hurricane Agnes washed it out. They closed it down and, and just never reopened it. So it had, you know, there's this closed road. It has some mystery associated with it already. But uh, I, I took these, you know, these claims of insane asylums. I went right to my father-in-law has a collection of old maps in the county. He does genealogy. And I just started looking at maps. And there was, there was never an insane asylum back there or, or anything close to it. It's just, it was just an old road in the middle of nowhere. They'd never put a, any kind of hospital or insane asylum back there. Hmm. So, uh, I, later on, I would find that York County actually never had a, an insane asylum of any sort. The, the, uh, people with mental problems would have been sent to the almshouse in the early, uh, up into the, the mid 1900s and after that. And still today they go to York hospital. But, uh, so I came back to the list with this information and, they changed their story. Oh, it was, you know, it was this mad doctor who lived there and he was keeping patients in his house and it was his house that burned down. Of course. It, yeah. Yeah. <laughs> you know, of course that's harder to prove or disprove rather. Time goes on and, and the, the weird, uh, USA people contact me mm-hmm. and they wanted to do, uh, you know, obviously this was, they were doing each state, you know, they were going to do weird Pennsylvania and, and, for the weird USA book. And they said they had seen, I'd written a story about hex hollow, that other place for, for a publication. They said, you know, can we use that? I said, sure. And they said, well, you take some photographs for us of, of hex hollow and of toad road. And I said, yeah, absolutely. But please let me proofread the story you print on, on toad road. Cause there's really a lot of nonsense out there on the internet. And much to my chagrin, they published the outrageous insane asylum story. I, it almost looked like they cut and pasted it right off the web and along with my pictures. And that really <laughs> kind of kind of didn't sit right with me. Sure. And I made up my mind at that point. See, so like someday I'm going to I'm going to figure this out. I'll, I'll write the, the full story. I didn't know it would become a book. I thought maybe a long article or something. So that that was the, the kickoff for me. And and. Uh, uh, what I found was a lot of weird stories back there. None of them really have much to do with gates or insane asylum victims or ghosts. Um, what it sounded like people were experienced were, were things that match up with uh, cryptid activity, uh, screams in the woods, being paced in the woods, things, you know, falling through the woods, peeking out from behind trees, dark shadows, things like this that sort of match up with your, your typical kind of cryptid stuff. Eventually I found a, a, uh, Pennsylvania legend from, from folklore about something called the hide behind. And it was said that the hide behind would 
you know, stalk behind people in the, in the woods and they, he'd take the last person in line or, you know, and you weren't supposed to look behind you because mm, you, mm-hmm. if you saw the high behind you, would be frozen with fear. You know, that, that that sounds a lot I like the had, David Politis stuff. There's a lot of stuff it, in it there. It sounds very much like it. Yeah, yeah. And I, I did find missing people out there too, by the way, at least, well, a couple, a couple dead hunters and, uh, and a, a woman that went missing without a trace. Really? But it, it that to me tied back into the original story that my wife was saying, "Don't look behind you on Toad Road," and now I had this. So it, it it just became very clear to me that that we were talking about cryptid creatures, not ghosts, back there. Uh, although as time goes on, there's a lot of crossover <laughs> with these things. I start really <laughs> yeah, and we'll we'll get to that, and uh, that's an important part of it. But what experience have you had? What what weird stuff has happened to you there? Um. Well, let me say, don't to anybody listening, don't go out there. It's private property. Sure. Uh, pe- people are very private. They don't want you out there. I have permission to be there. Um, so if I if I'm when I go, it's it's with permission. But uh, just just please don't don't bother the people out there. They they really I mean, you'll if you go there, you'll see more no trespassing signs than anywhere else in the county because mm-hmm. kids go back there and, you know, make a mess and make noise and and stuff. So, so please don't go. But, but that said, I have had weird experiences out there myself. Um, nothing too crazy. I, I, um, one day I was out there, I I met a, another Bigfoot researcher and I was interviewing him for my podcast out there. And his girlfriend was sitting about a hundred yards away from us on a rock. And she came up and said, I, I I heard a grunt, uh, across the Creek. Really? So I, I kind of walk down there, and as I'm walking there, I see they have these big white sycamore trees amongst the, the other kind of deciduous trees there. And I see one single white tree just rocking back and forth. I mean, it was whipping back and forth. No other trees are moving. It wasn't, you know, and I'm looking at it, and I, I pointed to the other guy. I said, do you see that? And he said, oh, it must be the wind. I said, well, why aren't any other trees moving? And it's, so there's just this one tree. So that was weird. And then this spring, I did go back and I I saw something. Um, it's it's kind of a two part story. If you want me to get into it, oh yeah, sure, absolutely. Okay, so I'm back there. I don't know. At some point in the spring, I, I think maybe in April. I was back there with a friend, and th- this doesn't seem terribly important, um, but. I found as we were walking in the path, right in the middle of the path, I found a, a, a great, like clean, perfectly clean, white sun bleached raccoon skull just laying right in the middle of the path. Well, that's neat. You know, so I, I'm an artist. I often draw these things. So I, I picked it up. And two weeks later, we were supposed to go back. And for whatever reason, he canceled. And I just said, well, I'm, I'm going up there by myself. I don't you know, I don't feel like wasting the day doing nothing. So I, I had planned to do this. So. I go up there and uh, it's a. I found this very old part. It's, the road dates back to before the revolution, and I, I found uh, I found this really really old part of the road. You can tell it's it's old, you know, stones and stuff. It's kind of built into the the banks right along the creek. And I'm following that, and there's a place where it narrows into just a footpath. And Right where it narrows, I catch some movement up ahead, and it was something very big. I can't tell you what it was. I, I Maybe three seconds, I saw this thing. Very quick, very large, and uh, very quiet. Didn't make a sound. 
and it shot i was i was walking south and it, it moved south so it ran like the other direction away from me i can't tell you what it was i didn't see a head it looked like it whatever it was was leaning down um i don't know if it was bipedal or quadrupedal i feel like it was quadrupedal but it's its shoulders were were up um so i, I my butt my my bigfoot buddy says oh you saw you squatch you saw a squatch i really can't say i can only say i saw something <laughs> big <laughs> i i it, without seeing ahead i don't know you know in my mind the, the odd thing was i thought moose when i saw it we do not have moose in pennsylvania certainly mm. not in southern pennsylvania just because of how big and awkward it looked, I'd, I'd seen uh, a moose in the woods in in uh, Massachusetts before, and didn't just were not expecting something that kind of big, and it moved in a really weird way. And so this reminded me of that, except it was lightning fast. I mean, I, I've never seen anything move that fast. Weird. So not out of any kind of bravery, just I, I don't know why. I just I followed after it, and on about maybe a half mile, I followed it. Um, and this is really nasty hiking at this point. It's all overgrown. It's, it's, this isn't a, a, anywhere anyone goes for pleasure. There's a stinging nettle through there and poison ivy. And, and, uh, I saw a copperhead when yeah. I was in there, I was covered in ticks when I came out. It's, it's not a fun hike right. by any means. And I saw nothing else. I, I heard nothing else, but I, I followed on and <laughs> This was not there two weeks before. I came upon, right by the trail, impaled on a stick, the perfectly clean white skull of a deer. Impaled and on it was a rated, stick? rated about eye level, so there's no way I could have missed it. So, I, I, again, I don't know. If a person did it, that means within two weeks from the time I was there, someone either had a deer skull or found one, came down in there and put it on a branch and, it, you know, it's totally possible, but I, it was just really just an odd thing. And especially after finding the other the other skull just two weeks previous to it. A strange coincidence. Do you, do you have yeah. bear out there? I mean, are there black bears? Uh, there are. Yeah, they're, they're, they're not super common, but we do have them. Well, let's talk a little bit about, you know, because I've discussed this somewhat with you before. You know, when people think of Bigfoot, you know, the, the normal place that people think about is the Pacific Northwest. And, you know, there's more of a, a likelihood that in my opinion, that you could have such a large creature like that living out there because there's not a lot of people. There's some pretty remote forest areas, but when you think about Pennsylvania or hell, even Tennessee, um, where we are, I mean, you're not going to go very far without hitting a road. You're not going to go very far without hitting a town. So what's the likelihood of there being a Bigfoot in the Eastern part of the United States? Well, the, the ape in the woods guys and, and no offense to them, they might mm-hmm. be right, but, but I, I'm not, I'm not there right now. They will tell you that there's plenty of land in the, in the middle of the state. There's plenty of, plenty of, you know, forested land, um, plenty of places for them to hide. My gut feeling is that we're not dealing with a natural animal. Um, I, 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 it's, I keep saying it's a very unsexy answer I have for people. I don't know what it is. I, I do believe it leaves footprints behind. I do believe people are seeing it. I do believe it leaves hair behind, scat. I think it eats. I think it 
occasionally attacks people's pets. I think in very rare cases it attacks humans. But I don't think it behaves like other natural animals. Uh, and I, I just can't imagine we have a breeding. For instance, York County. Um, I'm, I'm writing a piece now for, for a, um, a Bigfoot journal. That's about a eight square mile area that's had an insane amount of sightings since the 1880s. Uh, I like I don't know twelve sightings or something in this compacted eight square mile area in York County, Pennsylvania. I, I do not believe for a second there's a sustaining population there of, sure. of, of natural creatures, you know, giant apes that we just haven't found. So what I'm working with is is. I don't know. I don't know what these things are, but I but people seem like they're seeing them. I've always kind of personally been curious where <clears throat> whenever people look at a habitat or something for like uh, you know, a breeding population for something like a Bigfoot or Yeti or any other cryptid, they they use known parameters from other animals. So I've always kind of been curious if what if say these creatures are like really long-lived, how does how do variables like that affect what a breeding population would have to be or their, you know, their range or, you know, the range of even their vocalizations and stuff like that. Like what, what, I don't know how that could affect it, but I've always been kind of curious. I don't know if you've ever looked into something like that, but. Oh yeah. I mean that, that, that would be a major thing. For instance, if they do live for, you know, twice as long as humans, then that might account for, for, you know, all the sightings in this one area, then we're talking about one creature, not a sustained, you know, breeding population. Um, the, the fact is, no, no one's caught one. You know, we don't have one in a zoo. We can't. And, and people do a lot of projecting. I think a lot of researchers particularly do a lot of projecting human onto them, both, both in their behavior and in their, uh, the, the way they um, live, you know, just their natural life. And they project a lot of pe- person on them. And I don't know if we can do that. We just don't know enough about these things. I, I think whatever they are, they've been they've been next to us, living in the woods somehow uh, for for as long as we've been there. I mean, every every culture has one. Every culture has a big big hairy guy, you know. Yeah, yeah. And uh, it's so you know if, if if they're just archetypes, then then they're they're a heck of an archetype. <laughs> they're leaving footprints in here. But you know, the the point that. I've made before is that, and Jerome Clark was the first one that made this. Um, you know, he says in his book about strange physical phenomena, which is a book that I've read since high school. I'm sure you're familiar with it. Um, is that the further east that you get, the stranger the experiences are with these creatures. And he even makes the point in that book, he even says, like, the further east you get, the the more you descend into the goblin universe. So do you see that? And especially in some of these that we're going to talk about, these 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 old clippings, um, do you see that aspect, the further east you get, the stranger it gets? Yeah, in general, I think there's a lot to that. Um, we I, And I say this, it's a bit of an exaggeration, but I'll often say... Um, show me a Bigfoot sighting in Pennsylvania and I'll find you a UFO sighting within a few days, or, or, you know, around the same place. Right. It's not, that's, that's an exaggeration. I can't do it with everyone, obviously, yeah. but I can do it with a lot of them. And, and um, there, there's just a, a lot of extra weirdness to, to the sightings uh, in Pennsylvania in particular. But yeah, I believe 
the further east you go, you, you do, you get this oddness with it, um, more so than, than out west. Because out west, it seems to be just this, an ordinary animal, albeit one that hasn't been discovered or is officially recognized. But the further east you go, yeah, the, 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 the stories get stranger. You know, there's a whole section in that book where he talks about the HBs, the hairy bipeds, which I still think is a great band name. So, but uh the you know but if you read that section of that book i mean it's just one bizarre experience after another and it's all eastern states pennsylvania michigan you know even tennessee you know uh all this kind of stuff gets more strange oh yeah some some really really odd cases and you'll find other stuff with it um that eight square mile area i was talking about there's multiple haunted houses there's um, I found a story about spiritualists who lived there who were who were channeling uh, spirits who told them them uh, pirates sailed up the the Susquehanna River and buried treasure right in this eight square mile area. There were leprechaun sightings apparently, and, uh-huh. and all, just all this <laughs> oddness that that falls right in this in this same area where you start to go, okay, like wait a minute, there's there's more than an ape in the woods going on here. Yeah, the the fourteen aspects of this stuff. I want to talk about some of the the older traditions um, that are there in your area about some of the creatures that they talk. You we talked about the uh, what did you uh, what was the one that you talked about? Those from the the hide about was that the one you was hide, that? hide behind hide behind yeah. So you talked about that one, but you also have these all, these other strange ones that the Pennsylvania Dutch, who were actually German. Uh, would talk about and these legends that they had in the area. Yeah. I, I, I guess you're referencing the Albatwitch, the, the little ones. Yeah. And the Puckwudgies. Yeah. yeah the, the Puckwudgie, I, I'm thinking that's a, I'm, I'm guessing they're the same creature. They're described uh, pretty much exactly the same, uh, little short, little skinny hair covered things that don't, don't seem to be Bigfoot. They're never seen with adults. A lot of people say, Oh, they're just baby. You know, they're just young Bigfoot. Well, they're, they're proportioned differently. They don't. They're never seen with adults, and, and they act differently. They act. They act uh, weirder. There's talk about weird stuff. These have been people have seen them disappear. You know, right in front of them. <laughs> uh, um, you know, they, they whistle. Supposedly they, they whistle. Sometimes they, people say they play flutes, but around here they say they, they whistle. And there's a certain if you learn a certain whistle called the welcome whistle, you're supposed to be able to call them out. Mm. Waiting for someone to teach me that. Um, <laughs> uh, yes. Yeah, so you get these odd, like these just odd reports of these things. So, you know, and again, they don't seem to be, they don't seem to be Bigfoot. It seems like it's a, it's a different thing that people are talking about. The, um, the Susquehannock Indians actually had, uh, them painted on their shields. And the Susquehannocks were big people The the, um, the people that first ran into them, the, the Westerners or the Europeans rather that first ran into them, when they came here, they described the Susquehannocks as being like the average t- height of the male was like seven foot tall. So these were big, big wow. people and, and, and incredibly muscular. They described them. And whatever made these little albatwitch creatures painted on their war shields, they were supposed to be so fierce that, you know, here these giant people are painting these, these little, uh, these little hairy men on their shields. And they're scared of these little hairy guys. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. What about some of the Pennsylvania Dutch legends? Uh, we, ha- I mean, there's, um, as far as, uh, cryptid stuff, 
they would talk about the hairy man, which appears to be a Bigfoot equivalent. There's a really strong werewolf culture here just because people came from Germany and, and uh, Switzerland. And they, you know, there's a kind of, you know, brought the, the werewolf myths with them. Uh, there's something called the Trotterhead that I've done a lot of research on, which is referenced in a, a uh, local book um, of folk magic called The Long Lost Friend. And that seems to be some kind of creature that that brings nightmares. Um, mm. So there's, you know, there's there's a a little variety of the, of the Pennsylvania uh, Dutch stuff. Is it like something that like sits on you at night? Yep, yep. It, it's right in with the, those paintings that you see. Uh, yeah, you know the the famous paintings of the creatures that, that sit on the chest. Yeah, it's it's related to the 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 nightmares and. And all of these other sort of things that are supposed to bring bad dreams. Hmm. It's interesting how all that kind of like these phenomenon will combine together. You know, like you, now, now we're talking about something like sleep paralysis in relation to this too. That's fascinating. Yeah. <laughs> oh yeah. It's like these things go around and, and come around. I, I want to ask about. As well, you know, just your process in finding these old clippings, because you know, uh, you you have a, a I think a unique amount of patience, because you know nowadays it's like, you know, we want our information right away. So how did you find all this stuff? Like, what was your process to going through this? I am uh, an obsessive completist. <laughs> so for instance, I, I found after the book was published, I found a, an article for Pennsylvania and it, it just killed me like, Oh, this could have gone in there. Um, as, as I was doing a, you know, for research for, for another area. But, um, so I, I spend hours and hours and hours with uh, my nose in newspaper archives, both electronic archives, um, for Pennsylvania, I could actually go to historical societies and, and actually look, you know, on microfilm a bit, although that is a pain. Um, but, it's, you know, it's it's a lot of, uh, you know, page turning, whether it's virtual or or, uh, or real. You know, I'm, I'm going back through these uh, these newspapers and just looking for anything that applies. And for any every, you know, article I found that that and some of them in the book are probably people, but it wasn't clear from from. Uh, from the article. So if there was any weirdness associated with it, if there was any, you know, if, if I wasn't sure I put it in the book thinking, well, it's probably interesting to, to people, you know, researching Bigfoot anyway, but for every one article I found that was either certainly, in my opinion, certainly referred to a Bigfoot creature or possibly referred to a Bigfoot creature. I threw out 10, 15, maybe even 20 that, that certainly referred to humans. What was kind of your um, what, what were kind of the red flags that you said? Well, okay, this definitely refers to the humans because there is a lot of stuff in the book that still says a wild man walking around with clothes, and it's like it could be or it could not be. So, what, what were some of the indicators that you said? Well, okay, that's 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 just a guy living in the woods, is what I'm dealing uh, with. Uh, here. If, if, if he spoke to someone, uh, Generally, if they captured them, I think I have one note of of one that they said they captured in, in there because it took. I don't. They said it was like a dozen people or something it took to capture this thing. Generally, if they say they captured, I I don't. It, it's probably most likely human. If it's sent to a, a poor house or an insane asylum, it it was a person. Right. Um. The clothes. The clothes are are not necessarily a red flag just because even today and and 
again, this is just really, really weird stuff. They're very, very rare. But every now and then, even today, you'll get reports of Bigfoot creatures wearing like torn up jeans or or scraps of a, a red <laughs> shirt or something, which is just crazy and, and weird. But it, so I thought, well, there's that. But there's also the fact that, that most of these articles come from, well, they all come from Victorian and Edwardian times. And there may be that um, the either the newspaper reporter or the, the their editor decide to throw clothes on the creatures because, a you know, a naked man running around was a little too risque for the readers. I want to read one that uh, that I that I really love. Do you care if I if I read it? It's uh, it's uh, from one of the go for it. I think the eighteen forties to fifth to sixties era. Um, I, I bookmarked this one because I just I love the 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 language of the nineteenth century. It's just so flowerly. Oh yeah, and uh, maybe you can help me kind of explain what this might actually be. So, a strange story, and whether true or not, our readers can best judge after they have read it. What is it? A strange being lately made its appearance in the vicinity of our exchange, which has been the cause of much wonder and a good deal of alarm when seen by females and the more timorous of the other sex. Children intuitively clung more closely to their mothers, and all were observed to step lighter and quicker when near it. Numerous and various have been the conjectures what this ominous being was and where it came from, but none cared to satisfy their curiosity by too close an approximation to the object of their astonishment. It was about five feet high, stood erect, and its features completely enveloped in long hair, as black and glossy as the raven's plume. Some said it was Robinson Crusoe, <laughs> clothed in his goatskin habits, but this was improbable. For the last account we have of that renowned hero states that he was then near fourscore years old, while this nondescript was evidently much younger. Others said it was probably Orson, the wild man of the woods, or the wild child lately seen about a certain lake in Michigan. And again, others said it was the chimpanzee, which had escaped from its keepers, but it could not be either of these, for we have an undoubted recount of the death of the former, and it was evidently too large for either of the latter. It could not be a large Newfoundland dog, nor a bear, for dogs always run on four legs, and bears do not always go on two. What, what, what is it? Was the constant inquiry, and the mystery is now solved by the courage of two loafers, who were feeling in their tenantless pockets for what had been long ceased to abide there, I just love that, and ruminating <laughs> on the prospects of a bed in the watch house or gutter, without a supper and of a dry and thirsty morning, fell in with the hero of our tale near the Gerard Bank. Necessity is the mother of invention, and accordingly they determined upon its immediate capture for ex exhibition to wandering and gaping crowds. Fortune now ceased to frown, and golden dreams of wealth and splendor were before them. No longer would they trudge foot in the dirty streets, no longer go supperless to bed, nor that bed be the bottom of a watchbox. No longer rise in the morning with killing thirst and nothing to allay it. No perish the thought. Richard's himself again. Fearing not but the escape of this anomalous being upon which their hopes depended, they in instantly seized it, and all their dreams of glory vanished like the morning cloud or the fleeting visions of a midnight hour and left them in disappointment and despair. For it proved to be a poor fellow who had been so unfortunate as to, humble, as to tumble head foremost into a can of Dr. Jane's hair tonic and who now remained a monument, proof positive of the extraordinary virtues of the article. <laughs> is, yeah, this an is this an advertisement? 
<laughs> it could be, and that's that's one of the possibilities that it, it was a. Uh, it, it seems like it starts out as as a real article to me. Like it starts out, this is what people have seen. It's from 1847, and, as your footnote says. So and, just give and a date on it. It takes this this weird left hand turn into this hair tonic story with the two loafers. Um. Uh, newspapers back then, and, and they haven't changed much, were very aware and uh, did not want to seem silly, and they wanted to seem logical, and they wanted to provide explanations for, for everything. So you would get a lot of weird explanations throughout these articles. This is just you know completely outrageous. So, so I don't know. I don't know if it's an advertisement for Dr. Jane's hair tonic. I don't know if it was... Uh, you know, just a fiction that turned into this, you know, made a, a weird, like I said, a weird term. But it seems like it starts out to me anyway. It seems like it starts out as a legitimate article. And for whatever reason, just makes that wild turn into the hair tonic. Yeah, it's for it's it's very strange. And it's a Philadelphia newspaper. So this is a very large city. And it, could it be that they didn't want to report something like that unless it 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 made itself into an advertisement or do you think that they kind of sanitize the story somewhat? Well, it could have even been an attempt at humor. You know, they, they, they might've been, we know we're reporting something outrageous. So, you know, let's, let's give a a humorous explanation for it. Um, Yeah. It's hard to say, you know, there's no one we can ask. They're they're all gone. Right. Uh, One of the other things that I've stories that I found interesting in the book as well was you have, uh, a story about one of the men. It's like th- this creature comes into the house and then disappears. The, uh, it's, it's the one that where he, he, they said it slid out through the window or something. I um, think so. Yeah. Yeah. And, and basically he's, he appears behind these guys are playing cards or something. It, it mm-hmm, appears behind mm-hmm, him. Mm-hmm. Guy doesn't know it's there until he fears, feels the hair in the back of him. And then, then it does. It turns again this very strange story. And I thought, well, you know, this is a human, but the story is just so weird. I'm, I'm going to throw it in there because I'm, you know, I'm not sure. I'm not 100 percent sure it's a human, but even if it is a human, it's just really weird because it, it went and laid down in the guy's bed, I think. And then the, the guy wrestled with it or something. Then it yeah, it, it, yeah, I remember it, hearing about that part. Glided of out the window. Kind of glided out the window and then then kind of hung around the property on the periphery of the property and eventually the guy said he, he went into the woods and and he and he said uh, he was shot by him or, or shot at by by this wild man but the, way the article reads he sees the wild man shoot him all he knows is the bullet came and and hit his hat and he assumed mm-hmm. it was this wild mm-hmm. man because mm-hmm. they never say like the guy was carrying a gun or anything like that. So it just it was enough oddness where I thought, well, I'm going to throw that one in there because it's just a, a, a strange story. Yeah, this is the one I believe. Uh, that wild man, Hughesville, and the surrounding country greatly excited a hunting party on his trail. Is that one? Is that the one? Um, I'm, I'm, I I haven't memorized all. Yeah, of them, yeah, so. yeah, yeah. Uh, uh, it's just yeah, such a strange story. Um, and what would he be doing shooting them too? Yeah, I mean it's it's just the whole thing is just just odd, you know. Um, uh, I I can't make make sense of it from 
Okay, here's the thing. I, I, here's the story. I'm I'm going to go ahead and read it just so everybody okay. can hear it because it's, it's it's so bizarre. A wild man. That's all it's titled. <laughs> Newfield has come to the front with a hairy wild man, so awful, mysterious, and formidable that he opens up a new field for thought and investigation. He has been seen by some of the most unimpeachable residents of and visitors to South Section. He's described as over six feet tall, clad in rough and scanty attire, and wearing a grisly beard that reaches almost to his knees. That's probably what I'm going to look like in a few months. Although he has chased several fishermen who have invaded his secluded domain in quest of brook trout and shot a peaceable farmer near Dewfield Station, no active steps have been made toward his capture, and he yet roams at large. His latest and most daring exploit occurred about a week ago when he left the gloom of the forest and actually entered an unoccupied dwelling in the broad light of day. Large and heavy as the wild man is, he glides so swiftly and silently that he frequently is at hand before his coming has been observed. In the, he's like a ninja. In this silent, <laughs> ghost-like manner, he is said to have floated into the house of a farmer named Payne. The farmer and three companions were engaged in an interesting game of euchre and were not aware of the wild man's company. Payne felt something bushy touching the back part of his head. When looking up, he found it to be the great beard of the strange hermit. Payne jumped to his feet and would have struck the silent visitor with a chair, but he avoided the blow and with mysterious steps made his way to an adjoining room and stretched himself upon a bed. Payne followed him and again raised the chair to strike him, but again he seemed to glide from beneath it, and this time he made his exit through the window by a gliding snake-like motion, but as silently as a wreath of smoke ascends to the blue ether. The farmer watched him and saw him leave his premises and enter a patch of woods nearby and supposed he had, and supposed he had disappeared for, for good. But during the evening of that same day, he returned and was seen standing under a tree near the house as though deliberately deliberating whether to enter the house. After standing there a short time, he turned around suddenly and ran rapidly back to the woods. Next day, one of the farmer's cows strayed away and he started off to look for it. Shortly after he left the house, his family heard the sharp crack of a rifle and in a few minutes came back, pain, pale and breathless and well nigh done for. As soon as he could set the machinery of speech in motion, he described in graphic language the cause of his excitement. It was an encounter with a wild man. He said he was walking through a clearing calling Kobos, Kobos, I guess that's the name of the cow. Without warning, he heard full discharge close by at the wind of a bullet as it whistled off over his forehead through his felt hat through his erect hair. He fell flat upon the ground, partially and it was very well hit for the wild man, thinking his first shot had proved fatal, shouldered his piece and strode off into the underbrush. This strange episode is at present the theme of uppermost all through South Section, and it is said that a posse of hunters are preparing to track the wild man and, if possible, affects him capture his capture alive or dead. That's from September 18th, 1879. That's crazy. It's like, a, it's, it, it just, it sounds more like just this like, um, spooky paranormal hermit that wanted to play some euchre and couldn't get dealt in. And he's a sniper. Apparently. <laughs> That's an awesome story. Yeah, it's, it was, like I said, it was just weird enough, you know, that, that I threw it in there just because it seemed odd there. A lot of these things, you know, will kind of display uh, behavior that people have noted from modern accounts. And, and really, you know, some of our best evidence with these creatures is 
the their behavior and, and it's uh, and that's from witness accounts. You know, we don't we don't have much more than footprints. Um, if you believe the Patterson Gimlin film is real, then we have that. But uh, you know, that's very controversial. I happen to think it's real, but you know, there there are just as many people who don't. Right. Um, it's either real or it's an amazing hoax. Yeah, exactly. But uh, you know, for every for every expert you find saying that that it's real, you'll find you know one that'll say it's not. Oh, for sure. Um, but uh, you know, we just don't have a ton, but we do have witness reports, and sometimes the behavior um, is enough to kind of set it off. That the silent approach for me in that article, the the uh, the fact that they said it moved in a gliding motion, and the fact that it, it came and just he or it came and, and hung around the periphery of the farm. These are things that are described a lot in, in people that have the kind of repeat encounters when the creatures are on their property. Again, it may have been a man and, and it, you know, there may have been something else going on, but it was just an odd enough story where I thought, well, I'm, I'm throwing it in. Well, there's some interesting elements here. Cause you have the ghost, you have a ghost like element. And then what struck me as I'm reading the story over again is that there's a cow that disappears and there's mm-hmm. a little, there's a little bit of kind of like the modern day kind of, well, obviously he doesn't find the cow, but at least for what the story says, but there's a little bit of that kind of like that modern day, you know, the cattle mutilation stuff in there as well. So it's almost like, this is like a, dare I say it, you know, Joshua Cutchin is going to love me, but shades of the fairy stuff. I mean, this is like fairy legend. Yeah, yeah. I mean, it, it. There's a lot of crossover with that stuff, and uh, you know, Joshua has me looking at <laughs> in that direction now. Mm-hmm. You know, it, it, it's legit. I mean, his his points are are uh, are dead on. Unless the story is just totally made up, you know. And yeah, and which if, is always a is. possibility in some of this older material. Right. Yeah. Yep. Um, so some of the stuff, like there are some cases nearby where I, they mention people by name and I could actually do the genealogy on them and, you know, visit, um, I, it's, it's, <laughs> yeah, it's come to this. I'm actually visiting the graves of, of, you know, Bigfoot witnesses from the 1800s, but it, it, it happens, <laughs> but you know, in do, an a, do an EVP session and, and ask them what's going on. That's. We'll, com- yeah, we'll combine I, two fields here. <laughs> I, I, well, recently I ran into a guy who asked, who told me that he could tell me exactly what Bigfoot was because he channels Bigfoot, and uh, all I had ah. to do was go go to his channeling sessions, and I could ask Bigfoot questions. <laughs> okay, let's get him on, Adam. Yeah, <laughs> who who is that guy? <laughs> <laughs> one more story, and this one this one is kind of sad. Uh, this one also. Uh, sent alarm bells because we we mentioned uh, you mentioned the hide behind and how uh, people will uh, the legend is that like, if you are lost in a line if you're the last in the line the hide behind is going to come get you and you know I said that's very reminiscent of the David Politis stuff and there actually is a story that I've heard him talk about um, where there actually was someone that disappeared they were literally the last in line. I don't know where it was. I don't know if it was if it was some national park, but uh, a very so that's a very interesting parallel. But I found this story fascinating. Um, lost or kidnapped? Mysterious disappearance of little Florence Hughes. Friday forenoon, Florence Hughes, the two-year-old daughter of John Hughes, 
not to be confused with the director of 16 Candles, an employee of the Bradford Oil Company who lives on the Rutherford Farm, was playing in that vicinity with two other children. The little one's playmates left her alone while they were seeking flowers in a clump of underbrush nearby, and then when, when they returned, she was gone. Mr. and Mrs. Hughes were immediately notified and instituted a rigorous search but could find no trace of the missing one. All day long, the fruitless search was kept up. In the evening, a crowd started off from the city, swelling the number of the searching party to over 100. Every nook and spot in the woods and fields within a radius of one mile was examined closely but without success. The lost babe could not be found. The parents are nearly distracted and have the keen sympathy of many friends in their trouble. It is believed the child has been kidnapped and stolen away. The era contained an account of a supposed wild being a few, a few days ago who has been seen in the locality of late, and it is now feared the loathsome wretch has spirited the child away to his lair in the hills. Major Adsit of the Bradford Oil Company ordered the men employed under his direction to prosecute the search until a clue is found somewhere. These, together with a large band of volunteer searchers, spent the night diligently seeking for the missing child. At a late hour, nothing has been heard from the, from the missing one. Florence is a handsome child. She wore Friday a check gingham sailor suit. She has long brown curly hair, a round face, brown eyes, and rosy cheeks, and strongly built. Any information concerning her whereabouts will be joyfully received by the distracted parents. Now, it, it, it continues, actually. There's, uh, you have at least three articles about this. Um, yeah. And it, 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 it's, um, this was interesting. A party consisting of J.P. Taylor, Thomas Mills, and two members of the era staff visited the Rutherford district at 2 o'clock this morning and learned that no trace had been found of the lost child. A heavy fog hung over the woods, and the search was abandoned till daylight. Yeah, and that reads, if you're familiar with the missing 411 stuff, that reads like a missing 411 case. It does. Um, it absolutely from, does. From the, the, the second article, again, mentions that, um, the quote I think in there is, it is thought that she may have been carried away by the wild man who's been seen by several in this locality recently. She have this weird, you know, people have been seeing this wild man in the locality, Girl goes missing. They immediately start searching for her. They search within a mile around the place. And at first they have 100 people searching, I think. The second article says they have 200 searching. Nothing found. And then the other article, the, the weird thing that it mentions is the, the fog rolling in, which is another thing Pilates has pointed out, that the, the hmm. weather off changed. Hmm. Hmm. Interesting. Yeah. So and there were no other follow-ups. I did. I didn't research. Uh, you know, I tried to find other reports to see if she was ever found. As far as I know, she was never found. Yeah, it's either that or just the story was lost interest in. Um, what? Yeah. Uh, you know, Politis talks a lot about it, and you know, he always says, "Well, it's not Bigfoot." You know, he's accused often of you know he does these missing persons things, and then he's a Bigfoot researcher. Do you think there's something to this? Are we dealing again with like this whole fairy realm thing? I I think there's a Pelagius is very good at, at keeping a, a question mark over it, and mm -hmm. um, I th I think it, it's it's good for him to to not define it i think because you know some of these a lot of his cases probably most of his cases the people are still alive their relatives anyway and it's probably hard enough to have a missing relative 
with weird, you know, weird stuff around the case without someone speculating that it's, it's Bigfoot or aliens that took your relative. So I think that's perhaps one reason he, he doesn't kind of come out and say, I think this is what it is. The other reason might be because it, you know, if you define it, then the mystery's gone and, and, uh, that'd be the last book, you know, mm-hmm. <laughs> when he, when he says, uh, it's this doing it, then, then that, that might be his last book, you know? He, he's got more to write. Um, and I don't think, honestly, I, I think he's being honest when he says he, he really doesn't, doesn't know, um, what it is. And I'm the same way, but there certainly are enough stories of, of, you know, I think some of his stories have upright, what they'll talk about upright walking bears that threw the kid over its shoulder that people saw or something like, I mean, that's weird. Yeah, you know, no bear's yeah. going to throw a kid over its shoulder and, and, and walk upright with it. Um, there was the, the uh, Dennis Martin case. I think that that uh, people saw um, actually people out picking something. Uh, I think ginseng, which they weren't supposed to be doing. They saw. Um, they later came out and said that they saw something upright with a child in its arms. Yeah, something like that. Yeah, it's just just a, just these weird details. And there, there's a there's a couple cases like that. Um, I. I do think that I mean, if if you'd like really, really press me, like, yeah, I think they have something to do with it. Are they? Is that doing? Is that everyone? Does it account for every missing person case? It doesn't. I think we're talking about a whole, you know, broad range of things from from the you know the Fey, if you want to put that label on on it, to aliens, if you want to put that label on it onto it, that that may all be connected or may not, and and sometimes they're taking people and it might, there might be some government stuff too. Um, mm. you know, I'm not, I don't, uh, go down that rabbit hole too far, but, uh, it, it, you know, it's quite possible. Were there other missing, were there other missing children or other missing people cases that, that stood out to you I in have, the book? Um, some, uh, a, attempted, um, let me see if I can find it. Um, where they said it, a wild woman a, attempted to, to take a child. And she actually had the child and was running away with it. Mm. And uh, I, the the father and mother were chasing after it, and it it dropped the child. Um, I thought I had it marked here. Um, and there's several wild women stories in the book too. A lot of wild women stuff. Yeah, which which I don't know if that's a. Um, I don't know if that's a Pennsylvania thing. I'm I'm, I'm like I said, I'm still doing my research for, for my other, you know, the other locales. And I might not be able to do a book for every state. In fact, I, I don't think, I don't think I will be able to, but, um, there's, there's been other books that have kind of reprinted some, um, uh, some of these old articles in, and, and so forth. Um, that, uh, I, and I have not found in those books, um, any or many wild women reports. There's, it was mm. all, always either wild men um, so I don't know, again, if that's, I'll find out as I go on here, if, if, uh, it's just a Pennsylvania thing or, or if, uh, people were just, uh, looking for wild men and not wild women when they were doing their research. Uh, another interesting theme that I found in the book, um, and this is all over the place was how many people would see these wild men or wild women as they were described and they would see them while berry picking. That's all over the place in this book. Yeah, that, that's a, another recurring theme. Yep. 
Any yeah. speculation as to what that might mean? <laughs> Look, can I interject real well, quick and say yeah. that? Yeah, go for it. I think berry picking was probably a lot more popular a um, hundred years ago. As far as wild berry picking, like I mean, I did some in my youth, and I'm sure that a lot of people from our generation did. If you were lived in a rural area, but you know, 120 years ago, that was like a, this is your chore. You're going to go out there and pick berries, and if you're dealing with any kind of um, omnivore, you're going to run into it. And there's sort of, I think that the the, the correlation there might be more that it was uh, this is a way of life back in the day where you're going to run into more wildlife, whereas it's not a way of life today so much yeah yeah and and again berry picking is one of those things that polite polites uh points out like mm-hmm. a lot of people go missing mm-hmm. while berry picking that's that's one of his like you know checklist things um but yeah I, I tend to think it's it's just more of a that's why they were out there and they happened to see the creature you know, they, they happened, they were out there picking berries and they happened to see it. Maybe it was there to eat berries too. And the berries are ripe, you know, it's time, it's time for things to be at the berries. If right. I had to guess, I'd say people probably see more bears at, around that time of year too. Yeah. Bigfoot's like, damn, they got the, to the berries before I did. <laughs> <laughs> and and I mean, I've also patch. wondered too that, that, um, like you'll get a lot of reports say of, of, uh, people seeing Bigfoot around the abandoned places or, old cemeteries and things like that. And, and there might be something to that, but it might just be that, that, that was the, the odd thing that, that they know, you, you know I mean? Um, it's not outrageous to see it walking through a field or n- maybe not super noteworthy, but if you see it like, and it's walking through an old cemetery, like, wait a minute, you know, I mean, that, that, that would stick out in your head, I guess. Uh, I mean, it's going to stick out, I would think anyway, but, um, so I just wonder if it's, if it's just, a an odd detail that, that happens to, to, to come out, you know, that, that, uh, maybe in other cases wouldn't, um, just because it, it seemed like, Oh, I was picking berries and I saw a creature, you know, as opposed to I was walking through the woods and I saw a creature. They might not, you know, might not be as, as noted. One of the wild women stories that I, that I found really interesting was where they've, the guy finds the wild woman and she's cooking. Mm-hmm. Yeah, uh, and uh, I'm I'm trying to remember. There's a couple where they mention either the remnants of of a, a campfire or um, or a legit, you know, campfire. And again, the, that story was just weird enough. In most cases, I threw those out. Like if it's making fire, it's out. But there, there was something uh, just weird enough about that where I put it in there. And right, there, there are some of the First Nations people. And particularly in California, I think uh, around the Hooper Reservation, they say that that Bigfoot does know how to use fire, but won't because it knows it's a dead giveaway. So you know, there's just enough stuff surrounding it where I thought, well, you know, I'm going to throw that in there, and and people can make up their own mind. Yeah, I found that one particularly <laughs> that one that one was particularly interesting. You know, I, I wonder if there could be um, not necessarily Bigfoot. Yeah, but maybe just a race of people. That, well, yeah, that's what I was going to say. The, yeah. the feral human stuff interests yeah. me just as much because there has been verified cases of like teenagers being found that like 
totally grew up and survived out in the woods somehow, some way, and mm-hmm. you know got you know sort of inducted back into society. You know, what if there is like what you were about to say? I mean, whole families out there just totally disconnected from the rest of the human race. Yeah, and if there's a population, or, if, or even if there was a population of feral humans in little pockets of them then uh, that should be just as interesting, I think, and yeah. to studying Bigfoot. Um, what were some of the explanations of these phenomenon, and how did they these explanations kind of change over time in these articles? Um, in, in the beginning, uh, in the early part, it's, it's always wild men, almost always wild men, or wild boys, or wild women. Um, they'll often say they were escaped from insane, insane asylums or, uh, you know, county homes or, or, or sometimes jails, um, which, you know, you, you can find the, them claiming that they escaped, but you can never find the article, you know, the, talking about the escape. And if there were that many escapes, I mean, you know, I, I would think the, uh, the old asylums would have had to have, uh, holes in the wall. Because there's just, uh, you know, everyone was like, oh, he's, he's thought to be escaped from an asylum. He's thought to be escaped from an asylum. Mm-hmm. How many people are you letting out? <laughs> yeah, exactly. And some of these asylum escapees, they would even, like, tell their names that they thought it was that person. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And, and a lot of times if you follow the, the articles in the book, they'll say, oh, we think it's, uh, you know, Joe Jones or whoever. And then, you know... It, it's solved. And then the next article or two articles down the way, they're like, Oh, someone else saw the wild man. You know, it wasn't, it wasn't uh, that guy. <laughs> you know, so it, again, I think a lot of it was like, let's, let's try to explain, especially if it was reported first in another paper, they love to do that. Like, like a, you know, competing paper love to say, Oh, they're, they're crazy over at the journal. They're reporting on these, you know, wild stuff. It's, it's just this guy, you know, this guy with a, a beard, that's all it is. And then, you know, there, there's one instance in the book where they, they go back and forth quite a bit. And even after, you know, one one place says this guy at the beard and then they go find this guy who says it wasn't him. And the, even after all this, people are still seeing this, you know, this wild man or whatever on, on the mountainside. So one thing that I thought about after uh, listening to you on um, Where Did the Road Go was uh, I, I feel like back then there would have been a lot more hermity type people, you know, just people that have like claimed a chunk of property that was unclaimed and were just living off of the land and maybe ventured into town once in a while or had myths or legends built up around them. Did you, did you run across a lot of that on your research or any of that? Yeah. And again, I threw, I threw out a lot of those, you know, where it would be, um, Oh, there's a wild man. He's, he's haunting this, this area. Um, and then the next article says, and he comes up to women and he asks for food. Well, (laughs) that, that gets thrown out then, you know, gotcha. Uh, so, so yeah, there, there's definitely some of that. And, and again, some of these articles could be, um, you know, the, the, the reader has to make up their own mind on some of them. It's for me, it was, it was the stuff there's enough in my mind, you know, when you're, we're talking about an eight foot hairy guy in the 1870s or whatever, and you know, the average height was about five, seven, I think of a, of a human male at that time. So the, now, now we have a population of these you know, escaped insane asylum or homeless people or whatever they're that are eight <laughs> feet tall and, and, you know, with, with beards grown down to the ground and, and it just, it, you know, it gets wilder and wilder. The, the possibility gets further and further out there where it's, uh, 
you know, it, it becomes just as easy to explain it as a, as a Bigfoot that, than it does as a as an eight foot tall <laughs> hair covered dude. You know. Yeah, for sure. <laughs> what What were some of the other explanations? I think you were. Yeah, there. around eighteen ninety, it it changes, um, and it, it's very quick. It, it starts around eighteen ninety, and then as you get into the nineteen hundreds, you'll see very few wild man articles anymore, and suddenly it becomes gorilla. And they're they're all escaped gorillas, uh, escaped from a zoo <laughs> or they're escaped from a menagerie or something. And I I believe this is because if you think about into the you know the, the mid eighteen hundreds, if you were out in the woods and you saw something that was upright and covered in hair, you really didn't have a name for it. Uh, you know, it's just a it's just a wild man. You know, especially at the at the dawn of uh, Darwinism and stuff, and people really don't don't quite understand how uh, the theory of evolution works yet. They just you know. They know it has something to do with with monkeys and and uh, right. They think if people. you go out and live in the woods, you slowly turn into a monkey. Yeah, exactly. There's a lot of that in the book where it's, it's like, oh yeah, he must have he must have abandoned his you know his job and he went out in the woods and grew hair all over his body because that's what you do. Uh, yeah. <laughs> so, but uh, you know, around 1890 or so, people become familiar with the mountain gorilla from Africa. Um, you know, like to say it was discovered. Well, it wasn't discovered. The Africans knew it was there the whole time. But the, right. the people in the West become familiar with with the mountain gorilla. They start seeing it in pictures and newspapers. Also, you know, newspapers start printing f- photographs around that time too. Um, a very small number of them are brought to the United States, but they're reported like they're um, celebrities. They're really like they're they're all named. They're reported. Um, their activities, their daily activities are reported, what they eat. Uh, you know, some of them, they had drinking beer and smoking cigars and stuff. They would report <laughs> that. Um, and they, they, their deaths were reported. It was always reported like, you know, this, whatever that one of them was named Crowley, oddly enough. Um, <laughs> there he is. So this, yeah, this, this Crowley, uh, Crowley dies. It's re- it probably was Alistair Crowley walking through the woods, some weird <laughs> ritual or something, right? <laughs> So what happens is is now people have a name to call to call something that's covered in hair and walks on two legs like oh now it's a gorilla so you, very quickly it'll ch- it changes and suddenly we have this population of gorillas that's that's running through Pennsylvania which uh th- like I said there just weren't that many gorillas in the United States at the time there weren't enough uh to be escaping a lot of the reports are in the winter months they the gorillas would not have survived in Pennsylvania in the winter months and uh, most zoos and, and traveling shows and so forth couldn't even afford a gorilla. It was uh, conservatively like $500,000 to a $1 million. Um, right. It would have been a big point. news if somebody lost one. Yeah. Yeah, exactly. Um, and I, I think part of the my, my wife does a lot of circus research, and she, she's a, kind of a, a circus historian. And there were, you know, wild men, in quotes, displayed in circuses. And, and part of the routine for the wild man and and early on they put people in gorilla suits and did this too once once the gorilla was uh be, you know once the people in the west became aware of the gorilla part of the whole routine would be the wild man or the gorilla would escape and he so he he'd break out of his cage and he'd run around the carnival grounds give everybody you know everybody get really excited and <laughs> you know and and the keeper would 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 catch him then you know make a big show of of you know catching the the, the wild man or catching the gorilla and and getting him back in the cage uh it was part of the show. I'm surprised so nobody I got this, shot this doing gets, that. What's that? I'm surprised nobody got shot doing that. 
Uh, yeah, exactly. <laughs> it's going to be yeah. terrifying. <laughs> it was a wilder time. But, um, you know, so it becomes part of it. And I think this kind of gets in people's minds like, oh, yeah, these things escape. You know, that's what happens. And and so then it becomes the explanation and on up into the 1920s. They they always assume that, you know, oh, the circus train, you know, crashed and the, the gorilla escaped. So that's the big explanation in, in later years. <laughs> there was also a lot of uh, racism involved in a lot of these. Oh, too. Oh, yeah. Yeah. Yeah, it's brutal. <laughs> it's I, I mean, to the point where I put a disclaimer in the front of the book. Right, just, right. Uh, you know, I'm I'm interested in the stories of these these wild creatures. I'm I am not interested in in the the uh, racism that that uh, is just part and parcel of, of some of the some of the writers at the time. I think around the the turn of the century era, there is actually a story about a although they don't phrase it this way an African-American community that is being terrorized by a wild man. Yeah. Yeah. I, I think that's one of the early guerrilla stories. And the, yeah. the initial reports say now the report before it talks about a white farmer who also saw this, but then the report that comes after that, they even go so far as to say only people of African descent seem to be able to see this gorilla, which is just, I mean, the, <laughs> yeah, that's yeah, bad. Right. Yeah. Yeah, it's, it's stuff like that throughout. That's just like, oh, this that's that hurts. That's you know, well, but it was a different time. That story reminded me somewhat of these kind of like the phantom clown waves that we've been having. You know, it kind of reminds you of that a little bit. Yeah, I guess so. Uh, yeah. So yeah, it's interesting. I mean, this phenomenon has been going on for a very very long time. Um. Tim, in the time that we have left, I want to ask you about an experience that you had um, um, that was that you've talked about on on Soraya's show. But I'd like to kind of get you to talk about it here about you going up to the, um, I believe it was like a stand that you were placing rocks on, and you felt like there was some kind of communication going going on. Yeah, it's my my wife calls it my chessboard. Yeah, um, yeah. I found some white quartz rocks one day that were that were stacked in a cairn, and uh, you know, it, depending on on who you ask, quartz means something or it doesn't. Uh, but they they were they were they were white quartz rocks. That's what caught my attention, and it was at a trailhead, so you know, certainly a human could have done it. So I I and I, this has been going on now for over a year. So I've I restacked them, changed changed the arrangement. And I came back about a week later and looked at it, and it it had been changed. And I go and do this several times, uh, and I'm going back and forth. And I'm making the, my designs progressively more complex, and they're, they're always simplified, and it's always almost simplified to a triangle. Um, lately, it's been a triangle with two stones at each point of the triangle, but it's some variant of a triangle. It's very simplified, which, you know, again, this could be people... Um, I can't, you know, I can't say that it's not, but it's just, to me, I would match the complexity if someone was doing, you know, if someone else was doing that and maybe that's just the artist in me speaking, but I would, I would at least, you know, try to match their complexity, but it's always simplified and always seems to be a triangle. Well, one day I I went up there and, um, by myself and I heard what seemed to be possibly like three rock clacks as I was walking up. 
like rocks, like stone on stone, clack, clack, clack. This is strange. Because uh, I was alone in the park. There was no one. It was a, a weekday. No one else was there. Mm. So I, I walk up to the area of the chessboard. And uh, well, let me step back and say one other time I was there with uh, with my wife. And she said she hadn't seen it. She said, oh, let me see your chessboard. So I had been there 15 minutes previous. I walked down to her. I came back, you know, it took us about 15 minutes to hike back to it. And it had already been changed. So to me, again, you know, maybe a person came through and changed it in 15 minutes. But uh, yeah, I really want to meet him. If if this is another person, I'd like to like to meet my uh, my chess opponent here. So that was really strange. But so anyway, I'm going up there. I heard the rock clacks. I heard um, as I approached, I heard what seemed to be wood knocks in the opposite direction. I can't say for sure they were wood knocks. It sounded like wood knocks. Um, one, two, three, knock, knock, knock. Mm. And I'm go. I go to the, the the chessboard. I'm changing the arrangement, and I just get completely for no reason. I I've been there before since several times by myself with no no creepy feeling, nothing like that. Um, but I just got just the creepiest, scary feeling. The hair on the back of my neck standing up. Mm. Very much a, a fight or flight response. I didn't know what to do. I'm kind of looking at it, and, and I at this point, I don't even know why. And then I got the skunky smell. That people, you know, I, I assume it's what people talk about with these sightings and stuff. And being, a, you know, a researcher of this type of stuff, I'm thinking, well, here it comes. This is now the sighting. And I, you know, I honestly don't know if I'm prepared for this. Uh, I, I was very scared. I was, I was quite shaken up. And uh, as I'm, you know, preparing myself one way or another, I heard it almost sounded like metal gears, like, like gears on gears, kind of. Again, just three, click, 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 and it's like everything went away. The fear, the fear went away. The smell went away. Uh, I was, I wasn't scared any longer. I was able to, you know, kind of look around, then kind of explore the area. Went, went to where I thought the wood knocks were coming from. Didn't see a thing. So I, you know, whatever it was, it just, you know, it, it went from something very intense to, to nothing. So I, I, I don't know what to, you know, I don't even know what to call that. How long ago was this? This would have been last uh, winter or late fall or winter. Have you like had any more interactions with the stones since they then? continued? They continue to change. That's awesome. So that, that's all I can say. And and uh, you know, it, it. Well, I go there almost weekly. I, I haven't been in a few weeks here, um, but usually I'm, I'm there at least once a week, and it'll it'll change week to week. So whoever. Or whatever it is, they're as attentive as I am. They're 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 at least visiting it at least as frequently as I am. That is a very strange story. Yeah, very interesting. It's like you're communicating with something there, Tim. Yeah, and and Soraya suggested like you know maybe it was either Soraya or somebody on on his show suggested you know may, maybe you're communicating with yourself. Maybe I'm willing to accept that. You know, it's it's a it's a yeah. possibility, but. Uh, I, again, I'd like to. I'd like to kind of figure out how it how it's working. Yeah, figure out the mechanics of it. You know that reminds yeah. me as well um, the, about the knocks. Um, there's there is one story in this book that is, um, and it's it's not the one that I read about the 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 ghostly, you know, hillbilly sniper. Um, <laughs> it's it, there is one in this in this book that starts out as kind of like a sighting of a wild man, but then. It becomes a, it becomes more of a poltergeist um, story, 
where you have the knocking in the house, um, weird things happening inside the house. Um, so yeah, there's like a connection there as well, where people are seeing, I mean, you're right. Like, you know, that these people will see UFOs and then they will see Bigfoot and then they will have poltergeist activity in their house. And there's a story from the 19th century that talks about it. Well, and then you've got the Native American stories who, Uh you know, there's a lot of Native American cultures that believed in something similar, but none of them thought it was a uh, animal or a physical beast or being. To to them, it was all spiritual. Right. Right, exactly. So. Yeah, it's it's, this. You know, (laughs) people... People in this in this uh, area of interest, they they would get upset at things like like that killing Bigfoot show, and mm-hmm. I just I just laugh like they're never going to kill one. <laughs> I think big try all they want, they're never going to shoot. One. I can't remember who it was, but somebody was like recently was talking about how you've got this fighting Bigfoot show where they haven't proved anything, and now you've got a killing Bigfoot show. You haven't even found him yet. That yeah. was that was Tom on thirteen o'clock. Oh, right. Yeah. <laughs> Yeah, yeah, and, you know, people get up in the arms about you know, like we're we're a no kill group, you know, because you know, in reaction to that show and so forth, kill no kill. I, you know, you can try all, all you want. I I just don't, and I sure hope I'm proven wrong. I hope somebody one day brings a body in and and they can say, look, we told you all along it was just an ape in the woods, and I'll I'll be right there in line to to look at it and and I'll admit I was wrong. But at this point, I don't think anybody's going to kill it. I don't think we're going to get a body, unfortunately. Uh, we may never get another clear photo uh, for whatever reason. That seems to be part of it, too. That you know, The most experienced researchers, guys who have been at this for, for you know, their whole lives, are presenting blurry blob squatches and, and <laughs> pictures of, of, that look like leaf faces, you know, like, like faces made out of leaves. Yeah. And I don't, believe, I don't believe they're doing it to be hoaxy or anything. I, I think that, you know— that's part of all this. I think I don't, you know, I just don't know if we're ever going to get another, another clear photo. Um, the phenomenon changes, it changes, you know, as it needs to. Even if that happens, even if someone shoots Bigfoot and brings the body and it's not a, it's not a, it's not a Halloween costume, um, this time, um, which I'm sure you know what I'm referencing. Then, uh, even if that happens and we have the scientific community says, okay, we accept this Bigfoot is a, he's somewhere between ape and human. He's on our family tree, blah, 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 blah. It's still not going to explain all the strange occurrences. Oh yeah. Yeah. There, there's so many other questions that, that to, to, uh, to, that go along with this stuff that, that just the, yeah, the high strangeness and low <laughs> that goes right. along with these sightings. It's it's just there's so much weirdness. Um, it, if if they're not related, the the best we can say is that you know UFOs, for instance, or or these <clears throat> will the whiffs lights, which seem to be the most frequent thing that that pops up with Bigfoot. Um, they certainly like the same places. You know that if if they're not connected in any other way, you can at least say that much. Yeah, yeah, precisely. I mean, it's just it—it it really does. It really does truly make you wonder uh, uh, about this phenomenon. Uh, let's talk a little bit about Strange Familiars podcast because I was telling you before we started the interview that uh, I really have enjoyed this podcast and and some of the things that uh, that you have and that you brought and some of the people that you brought in to talk about it. And I love how 
you guys will actually go to the location and do a recording out there. I think that's just great. Yeah, I mean, we can't do that every time, obviously. Yeah. Um, I live where I live, and and it, it, you know, it it'd be I guess it'd be great for people who live here, but you know, I, I just can't. Uh, it can't be a Pennsylvania only podcast, as, you know, as much as there is here. Um, so I, I do, you know, we go where we can. Um, we'll go out there and we'll do, you know, try to get boots on the ground and, and do uh, on-site recordings. Uh, I, I try to tell a story. Um, that was that was the idea to start with. Uh, I I wanted to uh, kind of do a paranormal version of Serial. Mm-hmm. And uh, I think that, you know, more or less, we stick to that format. There there are times where um, where we become more of an interview show, um, just, you know, out of necessity. Uh, I, I said from the beginning, I didn't want to do like the two guys talking thing, just not because there's anything wrong with it. I just think other people do it better. Uh, and I, I didn't know if I had a lot to offer in that. But, you know, obviously some episodes are going to be two guys talking. It's you just, you know, it's just the way it's going to be. But I, I try to throw in, you know, old since I do you know a ton of research, I try to throw in some relative uh, old newspaper stories, and uh, you know, music is a part of it. We kind of have the you know fade ins and fade outs, and and try to you know produce a radio show is kind of you know was the goal, and uh, people seem to like it. So hopefully we'll we'll uh, continue. Where can people find that? And also, where can people get your books? strangefamiliars.com and the, the feed's there it's it's on iTunes and we're on YouTube and um Soraya kind of distributes the show through where does the road go to so you can find it wherever uh where does the road go where did the road go excuse me <laughs> uh wh- wherever where did the road go is I, I always want to present tense this show <laughs> um but yeah you can find it wherever Soraya's show is um and you know the, all the normal outlets the books uh they're on Amazon. Uh, Timothy Renner. It's Beyond the Seventh Gate is my first. Bigfoot in Pennsylvania is my second. Um, Amazon is very fair with their split for independent authors. I know people are, and it's very nice that people are concerned about that. I have no problem if you get it through Amazon. I know a lot of people have Prime. Uh, it, it's they're they're again they're very fair. Uh, if you want to get them directly from me though, you can get them signed. I don't obviously I don't charge to get them signed, and uh, you can contact me through strangefamiliars.com as well. Absolutely. Absolutely. And actually we have a late breaking thing here, Tim. Um, we have a, we have a communication from the wild man. He's actually spoken. Oh yeah. Our yeah. wild man editor of the evening record with a K dear sir. Thar has bed a good ill said about me scaring girls on the streets and calling me a wild man. I only do it fun. Only the homely girls is chased because the pretty girls stay to home. I chased some the other night, and every last one of them was too homely for any use. I always like pretty girls, but I can't find any on the street after 8 o'clock. If they be, they will will get chased by me. Yours truly, the wild man. (laughs) From 1900. It printed as a, a uh, in the editorial section uh, <laughs> after a a, a, a wave of uh, sort of uh, wild man reports. And and Tim, you uh, you plan on doing an, uh, another book about the I guess moving from you end at nineteen twenty in this book, so I guess the next book is nineteen twenty on. 
Uh, I'm going to stick with the old reports and I'm going to do other locations. Okay. Um, okay. I, I'd like to do more, but, um, people in this field do not like to share their reports. Um, uh, they I like to keep them private. So if, if, if people want to start sharing reports, I would love to continue. I, I do all Pennsylvania, but, uh, it, it seems like, uh, each little group likes to hang on to their reports and they, and they don't want to share. So being the completest I am, I, I wouldn't feel right, you know, kind of going on fr- from there. Um, so, uh, th- there's other newspaper reports, but, uh, copyright kicks in after 1922. So I'd have to <laughs> hunt down the rights to each, each, uh, particular article. It, w- it would be a, a legal nightmare to do that. So I think what I'll do is I'll move on to other locations and stay with the old articles. Gotcha. Gotcha. Well, best of luck to you, Tim. Thank you so much for being on and stay on the line for us. And, uh, Rob, was there anything that you wanted to add before we close out or? Uh, no, other than thanks for coming on, Tim. This is awesome. Oh, thanks for having me. Yeah, absolutely. Uh, stay in the line for us, and we'll be right back on Conspiracy Normal. That was awesome. I I love hearing, especially like since we met Joshua Cutchin, anybody that's got sort of a um, alternative take on what these like, because you've got these giant ape type sightings throughout. They're, they're very per- pervasive in all different cultures all across the world, you know, and, you know, Timothy uh, doesn't necessarily tie him directly into to fairy folklore, but he definitely seems to lean more towards um, that sort of mythic fae folk right. sort of a vibe. Right. You know, but and, there's more to it than what and we talked, physical. Right. And we talked a little bit off air there after the interview about how, you know, there's, there's very few, um, cases around the world that I think might possibly be a biological thing. One being the rain pendek, uh, which I think was in Indonesia Yep, because they have found the, the Hobbit type people that lived, I don't remember how long ago, but it wasn't that long ago. There was an actual species of hominid uh, creatures that lived on that Island. And they've recently after the rain pendek sightings and after all these studies, they found all these skeletal remains of a creature that, very closely mimics all these sightings that are there, which is just, to me, that's very, very coincidental, if nothing else. And then you've got the Yeti stuff, which there's been uh, a lot of DNA analysis recently that suggests it could possibly be an unknown species of bear, which Mm -hmm. if there's an unknown species of bear Mm -hmm. in the Himalayas, that's exciting enough for me to be like... That's fascinating in and of itself. Right. right? Like, let's look into this. You know, there's, uh, I think one study tied it to... um, a species of polar bear that hasn't been around for tens of thousands of years. And another one said that was inconclusive, but it might possibly be another unknown species of bear, which still let's, let's find that bear. (laughs) I want to see it. Yeah. Um, what do you think if 
Bigfoot was proven, Sasquatch was proven to be a real animal. What do you think the implications of that would be for our understanding of our own evolution? Um, I don't think it would have that great of an impact, honestly, because I think if it is real, it would have to be a descendant of like Gigantopithecus or something that we already knew was around. Yeah, that's one of the prevailing theories. Um, yeah. Or because there's, you know, again, that there's, it could have been 10,000 years ago. It could have been 100,000 years ago. We don't know exactly how long ago these, these creatures existed. But they did exist alongside of us at one point in fairly recent history as far as the Earth is concerned. Um, I think that DNA tests, I mean, it would depend. You know, it would depend on DNA tests, like how, mm-hmm. how far back it's traced as far as the implications of how it relates to us. Um, I think the implications on how we treat environment would change drastically because it would obviously be an incredibly endangered species. Sure. Um, I think certain areas would have to be allocated to them to to live out their lives and do what they do, which would be interesting just, just to see how how we handle that in itself. Yeah. I don't know. Well, have you ever heard of the idea that um, Bigfoot could be Neanderthal man. Have you ever heard that theory? Oh yeah, for sure. I um, think that's interesting. Or any others? I mean, maybe not Neanderthal per se, but some other offshoot. Because at the time, I like I, I don't know the exact numbers now, but they're constantly finding new species, and I know that we were around at a time very localized in Africa when there was lots of other hominids similar to us all over the planet. Right. We happened to win out, you know, due to intellectual superiority or superiority or something, you know, Mm -hmm. we developed certain tools or something allowed us to survive. Probably more than likely. Yeah. Could be more aggressive, which is still seen in our nature. Yeah. But something set us apart and we survived and they all died off, but there was a lot of them way more than people ever thought beforehand. And you know, for something like that to still be around and still be hiding and lurking in the dark, they would have known about us for thousands of years. And if they're intelligent enough to know about us, they're intelligent enough to know that we took over and we're aggressive and we're angry and we're scary and we're mean and we'll kill you. And maybe they are just we're reclusive. Well, I had to want in some of these reports, and we kind of went on whole like weird aspect of the reports, like the stuff with UFOs and kind of more uh, bizarre stuff happens. But I have to wonder, some of the stuff that he's looking at in Pennsylvania um, and these, these, these clippings could be another race of human that is out there that has lived in the woods or lived out in the forest and that they have just managed to keep themselves away from us. Well, and they seem to fade out around a hundred years ago and evolve more into the, the modern yeah. Bigfoot sort of a sighting, which that could be too. You know, maybe it was, maybe there was something here living alongside the native Americans that was more of a, you know, Neolithic type humanoid. Mm-hmm. And it just died out. And I, I think that there's, I don't think that's with, not within the realm of, of, of possibility. I feel like we would have found, I mean, there's that whole, like, no one's found any skeletal remains type of a 
argument against that. But, you know, if they were that advanced, maybe they are all buried somewhere and we just haven't. Yeah, well, Neanderthal was known to bury their dead. Yeah. And, you know, I'm kind of glumming on to Neanderthal as a possibility, but it could be. Um, I mean, if you look at the accounts, um, now, this is the 19th century. There's not a lot of development. Right. So the woods are still the woods. You're still the forest. Vast. You're not going to walk. Vast tracks of woods, yeah. You're not going to walk 20 miles and hit a road. Right. Not, not in 19th century America. It's not going to happen. So the possibility that there could be people, either people that are um, representative of an ancient hominid species or our own species that have just decided we don't want to have anything to do with us. That's a very, that's a very distinct possibility, especially in that time. Right. The whole wild men aspect, like, you know, the wild, like several times in the book, um, Tim has these stories about wild women. And like the one that I mentioned where she's cooking, you know, I mean, that's bizarre, but if it's an ancient culture that, you know, we stumble across and there's no, you know, say that they would, would have fire and they would be able to cook. And maybe it's not, and maybe on the surface level, it's not so bizarre to think in that respect. Right. Or even, you know, you might've had a family that lived off on some tract of land out in the woods and, right. you know, had, you know, they disagreed with the local church or something and decided to live off on their own and their kids grew up on their own. And I don't know. It's from there, who knows? Education would decline and, they would get more and more fearful of people and move off onto their own. It could, yeah, it could just be people, feral yeah. humans. It very much could be. Um, we were talking about Jerome Clark, the book. Uh, I read this thing religiously when I was in high school. <laughs> like, it's just all this kind of weird physical phenomenon. And uh, he talks about um, the hairy, this is in the, not in the Bigfoot section, but in a section that he calls the hairy bipeds, or HBs for short. Um, and there's several things in this article um, that he writes about wild men, uh, the same kind of language that you see um, in, in, Tim's, in Tim's book. Um, but, you know, he also makes that statement that, uh, and I want to find it here, um, that, Let's see. I want to find this real quick. If I can, if I can, I would know where this is right in my book, but I'm going to Google books here. So it's a little weird, but, uh, I think this, it's an interesting, an interesting statement that he makes. If I can, if I can indeed find it, but what he says is something to the point of, you know, Sasquatch is in the realm of the possibility that this is an actual creature. The further east you move, he says, we enter into the goblin universe. I love that phrase. And it's very true. The the further east you move with these accounts, the weirder they get. Most of Bigfoot is, uh, in the Pacific Northwest, is I almost driving and I saw big hairy guy walking across the road. Right. Very um, typical Bigfoot. You know, I'm on a smell. I'm on a smell. I'm on a smell something that was really bad. 
The Skunk Ape's kind of like that too in Florida. Right, but you get towards you get toward the there. Midwest, like Wisconsin and Ohio and Michigan, and yep. you start to get into more of the werewolfy type stuff. Yeah, the dogmen. Yep. So here's some of the stories um, that he talks about. And I couldn't find the exact, but this is very small print, so I'm going to try to strain my eyes here. Um, the new age of HBs are hubs. From the 1950s to the present, HB reports have been cataloged in startling numbers, some representative reports. Monroe, Michigan, August 11th, 1965. As they rounded a curve in a wooded area, Christine Van Acker, 17, and her mother gaped in astonishment as a hairy giant stepped out into the road. In her panic, Christine hit the brakes instead of the accelerator. As she frantically tried to restart the car, the creature, seven feet tall and smelly, reached through the open window and grabbed the top of her head. That's similar to the uh, Kelly Hopkinsville stuff. The screams of the two women, not to mention the honking of the car horn, may have caused the HP to withdraw into the woods. Nearby workmen came on the scene moments later, fi- finding the two women nearly incoherent with fear. Somehow in the, cor- in the course of the incident, it is not clear how. Christine contracted a black eye. The story attracted national publicity with a photograph of Christine's bruised face appearing in hundreds of newspapers around the country. Rising Sun, Indiana, May 19, 1969. At 7.30 p.m., as George Kaiser was crossing the farmyard on his way to the tractor, he spotted a strange figure standing 25 feet away. I watched it for about two minutes before it saw me, he reported. It stood in a fairly upright position, although it was bent over about in the middle of its back with arms about the same length as a normal human being. I'd say it was about 5'8 or so and had a very muscular structure. The head sat directly on the soldier's at the shoulder and the face was black with hair that stuck out of the back of its head. It had eyes set close together and with a very short forehead. It was covered with hair except for the back of the hands and the face. The hands looked like normal hands, not claws. The creature made a grunting sound, turned around, leaped over a ditch, and dashed off at great speed down the road. Plaster casts of the tracks it left show three toes plus a big toe. That's weird. Yeah. Putnam County, Indiana, August 1972. Randy and Lou Rogers, a young couple living outside Tawny Rochdale, 40 miles west of Indianapolis, became recipients of regular late-night visitations from a shadowy creature. Occasional brief glimpses revealed it to be a large, hairy, quote-unquote, gorilla. Most of the time, it was bipedal, but when it ran, it did so on all fours. Lou Rogers reported that we could never find tracks even when it ran over mud. It would run and jump, but it was like somehow it wasn't touching anything. When it ran through weeds, you couldn't hear anything. And sometimes when you looked at it, it seemed you could see through it. Nonetheless, an area farmer, Carter Burdine, allegedly lost all but 30 of his 200 chickens to the creature, which ripped them apart. Burdine, his father, and his uncle saw the HB in the chicken house and chased it into the barn. The uncle opened fire on it as it fled from there to nearby fear, a nearby field. I shot four times with a pump shotgun, Bill Jr. Burdine said. The thing was only about 100 feet away when I started shooting. I must have hit it. I've killed a lot of rabbits at that distance. Even so, the HB seemed unaffected. At least 40 persons claimed to have seen the HB before sighting ceased late in the month. Noxie, Oklahoma, September 1975. Former Kenneth Tosh and his neighbors reported seeing and hearing at least two HBs. First seen on the first of the month, 20 feet from Tosh's house, it stood six or seven feet tall and had dark brown hair all over its body, except around the eyes and nose. The eyes glowed in the dark reddish-pink eyes, Tosh said. The glow without a light being on them. On three occasions over the next days, Mar- Mary and Parrot would fire on the creature with a 30, .30 hunting rifle. 
He was convinced he hit it each time, but only once did it respond by swatting its arm as if at a fly. The HB smelled like rotten eggs or sulfur. It left a three-toe track. All, primate, all primates have five toes. Towards the end of the episode, Tosh and his brother-in-law found themselves between two HBs as they called to each other. One of them had red eyes and the other one had yellow, he said. There was about 300 yards away from, e- from each other. One of them, the one with red eyes, was more like a woman screaming. The other one sounded like a baby howling. The one with yellow eyes was more of a grayish color than the other one, and it was about half a dozen, half a foot shorter. They probably weighed between 300 and 500 pounds. And it goes on and on and on with weird reports. There was uh, another one that I remember. Uh, not going to look for it here, but um, I think it was Michigan. And it was a farmer, and these weird ones that were like, looked like Cousin It walking down the field. There were like two or three of them. And he starts shooting at him, and they just, like, disappear right in front of his face. The vanishing stuff is bizarre, because that's pretty prevalent. Yes. Um, And the the one that said that they could see through it, uh, which is fascinating, or it seemed like they could see through it. So, yeah. Very, very, very weird. Um, Here's... Furry furry objects and flying objects. Late one evening in August 1972, a luminous object hovered briefly over a cornfield in rural Rochdale, Indiana, something about that place, before seeming to blow up, according to an observer. An hour and a half later, the Rochdale HB allegedly made its presence known to a young woman, Lee Rogers, who lived on the other side of of the field. Here's another one. Uniontown, Pennsylvania. Having observed a red light hovering above a field just outside town, a 22-year-old man and two 10-year-old boys rushed to the site in a pickup truck. The light now revealed to be a dome-shaped UFO had turned white and now rested on the ground, making a sound like a lawnmower. Screaming sounds could be heard nearby. Two large ape-like creatures with glowing green eyes were walking along a fence. The taller eight-foot HB was running its left hand along the fence while the other nearly dragged the ground behind it. A shorter seven-foot creature tried to keep up with the first. A whining sound emanating from both seemed to be means of communication between the two. The oldest witness, who was bearing a rifle, fired directly into the larger HB, which, which reacted by whining and reaching out to its companions. At that moment, the UFO vanished. The two creatures disappeared into the trees. A state trooper summoned to the scene soon afterwards noticed a 150-foot luminous area where the UFO had sat. He also heard loud crashing sounds in the woods, apparently made by, any, by someone or something big and heavy. The 22-year-old witness who accompanied the officer suffered an emotional breakdown at this juncture. Yeah. So that's not a flesh. There's nothing flesh and blood about that. That's like something from like the depths of hell. (laughs) (laughs) Right. Screaming like a woman and howling like a baby. That's just weird. Yeah. (laughs) So what's going on here with the eight, with the hairy bipeds? Well, and uh, another thing I was like, think is, you know, we've got, we did live 
side by side with all kinds of different hominid creatures in the you know tens of thousands of years ago. Yeah. If there is anything to genetic memory, there might be something in us that is supposed to be wary of other hominid creatures because they're going to have the same habitat, they're going to have the same food sources, they're going to have the same everything, they're going to be in competition with us. So there, there could be this like deep, deep psychological thing, like mistrust anything that's not human, that's human-like, mm-hmm. just embedded in our DNA. And that, you know, it might not take much for that to emerge into our, our psyche and and start seeing these things when they're not there. There could be this like psychological element to it where yeah. any kind of distress can cause your brain to be like, Oh, we're, you know, we're, we're back to fighting for, for scraps with these things and, you know, resurface. I don't know that. And to me, that would at least explain why it's so widespread, why it's so pervasive in every culture on the planet and, and that sort of thing. Well, that goes back into, Phantom Clowns, Slender Man, Men in Black, Black Eyed Children, um, Fairies. Right. All, all the other denizens of this strange um, shadow world. And, you know, that also goes into um, Greg Bishop's co-creation theory. I love the co-creation stuff. And the fact that you could have a phenomenon or an energy or a force that is showing itself to you and mm-hmm. it thinks that that's what it wants to show you. It, apparently, what it's showing to you is something completely terrifying. Right. And, it, and, it's, <laughs> and it's not just an individual basis. Like, the more people that seem to believe in this kind of stuff, the more it seems to pop up. Yeah. So it's sort of energy-driven, belief-driven, which is... Right. That's an interesting whole concept in itself. What were you telling me the other day before we go about the skunk ape? You were telling me about the orangutans. Oh, yeah. I I, I haven't had a chance to look it up and verify this, but I promise you I did see this (laughs) somewhere. I've seen a picture like this. There was was, uh, some documentary um, investigating this. I believe it was the skunk ape. It was definitely in or around Florida. And they set up trail cams, and they actually caught images of an adult male orangutan on these trail cams so n- not to say that there's a breeding population of them but there there is at least some loose out there yeah you know in the florida everglades which i mean that would be easy to confuse with a bigfoot type creature and if it's living in the swamps of the everglades it probably does smell pretty bad yeah, you know, <laughs> it's probably not too different from the climate that they would be in in Indonesia because that's the only place where you find orangutans in the wild. Yeah. Um. So yeah, I, I could definitely see that. I, mean, but I, I don't remember what show it was that I saw that on, but it was a very clear image on a trail cam of a uh, adult, like Monster Quest or something like that. Could have been. Yeah, yeah, I think it was newer than that, but it was it's, a male orangutan. Well, I mean, there's a distinct possibility because by now. You know, people have had orangutans in zoos. Irresponsible people have kept them in roadside attractions and as pets. Right. And they get, they get big. I mean, orangutans get big. Man. Oh, they get they scary get, big. You know. They, they get, like, eat your face off big. Yeah. But, I mean, they're pretty gentle. Chimpanzees are actually ones you got to watch yeah. out for. The male chimpanzees, chimpanzees will, yeah. will rip your face off. Yeah. Only when you give them Xanax. But, uh, <laughs> uh, yeah, so you got you to gotta really worry about them. Um, 
Anything else you want to add about the subject or think we've exhausted it? I just hope it's out there somewhere. <laughs> I really the do. The truth is out there. As much as like the evidence doesn't point to it, I, I really hope that someday I'm proven wrong. Yeah. And I get to go see a Bigfoot, even if it's in a cage. I hate zoos and cages, but I just want to see one. Yeah. Well, it would be cool. What about you, Luke? What do you think? Oh, yeah, that's right. Well, yeah. <laughs> well, we have our own creature that we can't seem to find lately. I know when you were, when you when you brought up that quote about our our own, very own wild man, I thought you were going to talk about Luke earlier. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, he is our very own wild man. He's out uh, there running around the woods scaring somebody. I'm right sure, now. he's uh, sure that's what he's doing. He's <laughs> he's skating or dying. Um, but anyway, guys, uh, thank you so much for listening. Um, next week, um. We are going to start kind of a two-part series about the book UFOs Reframing the Debate. Ooh. Uh, we have coming on next time uh, Robbie Graham, who is the editor of the book. And we also have our good buddy, Mr. Faith Hulk himself, Joshua Cutchen, yes. coming back uh, to uh, talk about his um, one of his, his article in the book. And then the next time I'm going to have on Ryan Sprague and uh, Susan Demeter St. Clair, who we've never had on the show, who has a book, who has another. uh, They both have articles in that book as well. So I'm going to get them on. Might see if Red Pill Junkie wants to join us too. Why not? Yeah, I think we can try to get him back on as well because he's got a very interesting um, um, section of the book as well. And I'm really, I, I bought it from Greg Bishop. Greg Bishop had two copies at Roswell, and I was like, I got to get one, okay? I'm taking one of your copies. So, um, but thank you guys so much. And uh, as always, uh, check out our growing uh, yes. Patreon community. There's Almost forgot about Patreon. There's quite a bit of you guys now, and we're really, really excited to have this this growing thing where we can kind of communicate with you guys and reach out and you know, give you guys a little bit extra, and you guys can help in return pay for our overhead, which is, you know, it's more than you'd think. We got you know, hosting to pay for and electricity. And we got this whole studio that we're trying to set up and you know, we're putting a lot of money into this for you guys and anybody out there that wants a little extra and wants to help contribute to the show. This is just a great way to do that. Go to patreon.com slash conspiranormal. There's different tiers, bonus episodes. We've got quite a few up there. We've got, I think another special, uh, sequel to the Peter Robbins, hopefully coming up. Yeah. I had to get with him on that and lots of other great shows on there. So you check it out. Absolutely, guys. Uh, thank you so much for listening. And, you know, contribute to Rob's Cigar Fund because yes. that, that helps the time go faster in here. <laughs> so, uh, guys, thank you so much. And we will be back on Conspiranormal. Watch out for hairy bipeds on UFOs.
Enjoy all your favorite sports like never before at BetMGM. Sign up using code Buckeye and receive up to $1,500 back in bonus bets if you don't win your first bet. When you register with BetMGM, you'll get instant access to a variety of parlay selection features, live betting options, and the best daily promotions in the business. And with BetMGM at your fingertips, every play and every game matters more than ever. Place your money line, prop, or parlay bets with the king of sports books today. Sign up using code Buckeye and receive up to $1,500 back in bonus bets if you don't win your first bet. Bet MGM and GameSense remind you to play responsibly. 21 plus and present in Ohio, subject to eligibility requirements. Rewards are non-withdrawable bonus bets that expire in seven days. Gambling problem? Call 1-800-GAMBLER in partnership with MGM Northfield Park. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply.